We're back. <laughs> yeah. Now, hold on a second. Did you guys actually think I was just going to ghost y'all? I was going to tell you how to write a screenplay and then just disappear. I mean, the name of this podcast is Filmmaking Ain't for Pussies. It's not Screenwriting Ain't for Pussies, right? So I'm back. I hope you're fired up because I want to tell you how to make an award-winning feature film independently. No help from no one. Yeah, that's right. I'm pumped up. Let's go. of Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Man, it's good to be back. How y'all doing? I hope you all uh, wrote a wonderful, amazing screenplay. See, that's why I took time off. So you guys could write your screenplay. Now you're ready to make the movie. So let's get into it. For those of you just joining the podcast, let's call this season two. For those of you just joining season two, The first season, we talked about screenwriting, writing that feature script. And oh, by the way, my name is Dave Fugit. I'm the writer, director, producer, actor. I wore every hat except for editing and cinematography. On the award-winning film, The Hike, the website is thehikemovie.net. You can see the awards we've won. We actually just won a Best Supporting Actor in India. So I'm not submitting The Hike to domestic film festivals anymore. That, That time is over. But I did branch out, and India loves the hike. So if you go to the website, you'll see that we won uh, some awards last year, at the end of last year. And then uh, we just picked up uh, Best Supporting Actor for John Bland. So yeah, I think the film festival thing is pretty much done. But anyway, thehikemovie.net and on Facebook. Does anybody use Facebook anymore? Seriously. what it, It's called Meta now, right? <sighs> Please. On Facebook, it's Never Hike Alone, and I need to update it for this latest win. And oh, by the way, I did lower the price. Your Uncle Dave realizes that inflation is hitting everybody hard. So I lowered the price. You can now own the hike for $4.99, and you can stream it and rent it for a buck ninety-nine. Thehikemovie.net, and you'll find all kinds of goodies there. Picks. Since season two is going to be all about making the movie, I am going to create an Instagram account, and I will let you guys know when I have it up, and I will be posting pics from the production onto that Instagram account. And you'll be able to see what kind of a production that we actually had. I highly recommend you watch the movie if you're going to listen to this podcast because they're companion pieces. Think of it as a director's commentary. You remember back in the day, man, we used to get DVDs and we were looking we were looking so forward to the director's commentary. Man, that was amazing. And some director's commentaries are horrible. Some were perfection. Wow. So yeah, I highly recommend you you at least watch the movie and for 4.99. And, and I'm not going to get rich off you guys, believe me. <laughs> I'm not here to do it for the money. I'm just saying, some of the stories and some of the things I'm going to tell you about the hike, if if you have the movie in front of you and you can go to certain scenes I'm going to talk about, certain fuck-ups that I did, uh, it'd be nice for you to see what I'm talking about. But hey, it's your prerogative, Bobby Brown. <laughs> 
I digress. Shut up, Uncle Dave. Let's go. Before we get started, uh, let me reiterate that I wanted to go through the filmmaking experience, and that's what I'm going to bring to you through this podcast. I wanted to rent equipment. I wanted to use a Hollywood camera. I wanted to go to a, a post-sound studio and, and go through ADR and Foley and mixing, and I wanted to hire someone to do the score. My goal for the hike was to make an independent a truly independent film that looks and sounds like a Hollywood movie. I was not going to use the camera in my phone. I wasn't going to edit sound on Pro Tools. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, so many people don't have the funds to go through the whole process. For me, at that moment in time, I did. I'm not sure if, if you want to shoot a feature on your, on your phone and edit in Pro Tools, edit sound in Pro Tools, and load it up on YouTube... Um, if that's what you want to do, I'm not sure how much you're going to get from this podcast, but you know what? If, if you do shoot your movie, no matter how you shoot it and you put it up on YouTube as a completed project, that's a success. I'm not throwing any shade on anybody who does it that way, but I just want to let you know upfront that that was not my purpose. And that was not my goal for the hike. I wanted to live the experience and I did. And that's what I'm going to share with you through this podcast. I love you. When I finished writing the script for the hike, the first thing I did was get all my resources together. What can I use to make this movie? What do I already have in my pocket? And the answer that I had for myself is nothing. This is a truly independent movie. It's a truly independent feature movie that has won awards at film festivals. I did it all myself. I started with a clean slate. I had no resources. I had no one to call to ask for help. And yeah, I know, you guys are saying, well, Dave, you went to film school. You had all kinds of help. Au contraire. What you have to remember is, I graduated from film school in 97. So the regime that was there in the film school, the faculty, the dean, they weren't there when I was getting ready to shoot this movie. Now, it'd be different if I, if I approached the hike right out of film school. That would have been a whole different subject. Because, yes, I, I could have used that as a resource, though our dean was very conservative and not in a political way. He probably would not have appreciated the violence and the content in the hike. So I'm not sure how much help I would have got from him. But I definitely could have got help from my mentor. You know, he's passed away, so I, I couldn't rely on him. And I guess what I'm telling you is, when I walked away from film school, there is one person in our class that I keep in constant contact with. My plan was he was going to produce because in film school, he took the producing route and I took the writer-director route. But things happen and he's on the East Coast, I'm on the West Coast. And I realized pretty quickly on that I was going to have to do this on my own. And I wasn't completely green. I mean, that's what film school's for. Four years of productions. So you have, you know, two to three productions every year. And you learn from the productions. And you learn to wear all the hats. So I wasn't concerned that I didn't know how to produce. I was just hoping that I could pull it all off and wear all the hats. And at one point, uh, I did actually call the school because I wanted to hire a cinematographer. Somebody right out of school to shoot a feature. But for some strange reason, you know, I, I got in touch with the production department and I told them what I was doing, who I was, what I was doing, 
if I could get some contact information from some cinematographers that uh, might work for my project. And all I got was crickets. Oh, yeah, sure, Dave. Yeah, yeah, let me, let me do this. And I'll get right back to you. Yeah. So, yeah, I went to film school, but I had no help from film school whatsoever. And it is a good point because, look, to make a movie, to get into the business, it's so much about who you know. For instance, David Gordon Green was in the class uh, behind me. So I graduated in 97. He graduated in 98. One of his projects in film school was George Washington. And one of our faculty members took a liking to him, and she had contacts. And her name was Lisa Muscat, who I also reached out to. But once again, crickets. So David Gordon Green and Muscat got together, and they made George Washington the feature, and the rest is history. Now, Craig Zobel, Jeff Nichols, Jody Hill, Danny McBride, they're all from the David Gordon Green tree. Had it not been for David Gordon Green, those guys wouldn't have a career. So it is a lot of who you know. But like I said, when we graduated, there was one person I wanted to keep in touch with, and that was pretty much it. I mean, I liked my classmates, but... I really, there was no one there that I was going to take with me on this journey. And to this day, you know, I I haven't spoken with any of them except for the one. So what I did was I went through the script and let's just say locations, for instance. I counted up the locations and for the hike, I kept it simple. Remember, keep it simple, K-I-S-S. The less locations you have, the better off you're going to be and the cheaper your movie's going to be. And plus, I wrote it to be shot outdoors, So that means we didn't have to go and find interior locations. Now, if you're in the L.A. area or New York area or one of the bigger film hubs, Atlanta, Austin, it'll be easy to find locations. As a matter of fact, in Los Angeles, they have a database. If you own property or if you own a house, you can go to this database and put your information in there. And filmmakers can go to this database and look at your house and see if that matches their script. And if they want to shoot at your house, they pay you a certain amount of money and they can come over and use your house. Now, I'm not sure how it works with businesses, but break down your locations and see what you have available to you right now. If you were going to shoot tomorrow, where can you go? Uh, We touched on it last season. When you're writing the script, use what you have available to you as set pieces. I think the example I gave was, you know, if your uh, uncle or your dad... Uh, has a, a automobile shop and they work on cars. In your script, use that. Set up a scene that takes place at a repair shop because you have that. You don't have to go out and look for it. You don't have to pay for it. Another thing to consider is where do you work? Do you work? Do you go to school? Maybe your workplace can be used as a location. Maybe some place on the campus can be used as a location. That's always possible. You know, if if you have a good rapport with a coffee shop that you go into every day and they know you by name. Talk to the manager. Say, hey, uh, can we come here and shoot at night? I was in a feature film, a low budget feature film, uh, and I had a small little part. And the cinematographer worked in this office building in Los Angeles. And the director used this office building that his cinematographer worked in, that he got permission to shoot in at night. And he used it as a bank office. And the shot was just uh, me sitting at a desk because I I played a, a bank manager. And the shot was just me sitting at a desk. And all around in the background, you know, it looked like any office space in a bank. So just use your connections. Whoever you're connected with, just reach out. Say, hey, can I use this location? 
Can we do this? Can we do that with it? All they can say is no. Same thing with cars, vehicles. How many vehicles do you have in your in your film? Are you going to be able to get these vehicles? Are the vehicles the kind of vehicles you want? Once again, if you're in a big city close to a filmmaking hub, you can rent vehicles. To be specific, what I'm talking about are specialized vehicles. You know, do you have a muscle car in your script? Do you have a beat up Volkswagen Beetle? Do you have a just a, a beater car, an old rust heap, a hearse, an ambulance? Those are the kind of cars that you can rent if you're close to a movie hub, New York, L.A. Of course, if you need a new car, and how many of us have a brand new car? <laughs> Not me. But if you need a new car in your movie, go rent one. Go to Hertz, Avis, Dollar. You can go to their website and you can see what kind of cars they have available. They have luxury cars, sports cars. And when you, when you make your schedule, just go over there and rent one. Now, don't tell them what you're going to use it for. Just tell them, uh, hey, you know, my, my beater car, I, I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to go to Vegas, and I don't think my beater car will get me there, so I'm going to rent this car. <laughs> hey, man, it works, right? In the hike, we had a scene where a spider uh, walks up John's arm and bites him. And I don't know how many of you realize this. I didn't at the time. But tarantulas are not poisonous. And you can go to a pet store and buy a tarantula, a pet tarantula. So that was our, that was originally what we were going to do. We just needed it for one day. John wasn't scared of spiders and tarantulas move really slow. So we were going to go to a pet store and just buy a tarantula and then return it the next day. That'll work for filmmaking. So get an inventory of what you have available to you. Now, one thing I did was when I finished the script, there was actually a San Diego Film Commission and that was a nice resource. So the San Diego Film Commission did have locations available. Folks went to the San Diego Film Commission website and they put their property on there. They put their houses on there, their barns, their land, whatever, and their contact information and just get a hold of them, talk to them, negotiate. And that's exactly what happened with me. So the San Diego Film Commission had a listing. It was like 90 acres or some shit. It was a huge property. And it was in the hills. Some people around here would say mountains, but they really aren't mountains. They're very tall hills. Just a few miles away from where I lived. So that checked off quite a few boxes. I did have an interior location, which I used my own house. And then in the very first scene, there was a location, an exterior location, that I wanted to look different from the rest of the movie to show that the killer moves from one area of the country to the other. So I wanted it to look completely different than the one close to where I lived. It was actually in Escondido, California. So once again, the San Diego Film Commission website had a listing for a location that looked different than the one in Escondido. And it was just land. There was actually a, a small little cabin that had electricity and running water. And once again, it was another property that covered many, many acres. So I contacted these two owners of these two different properties and uh, chatted with them and found out that they were, they were on board. So you wrote the script... And now you're going to produce your movie. And when you find a location, you are now a location manager. On a big budget shoot, there's a location manager. The director doesn't do any of this crap. The director will get with the location manager and let them know what they want and what they're looking for. Then the location manager will go and look in this big, giant book of pictures. All these places that are available to shoot. And the location manager will do all this groundwork for you. And during the actual production... The location manager will be the liaison
between the actual production and the owners of the property. So on the hike, I was the location manager. And anytime there was a problem, the owners would come to me. Also, uh, look for local filmmaking groups. Uh, Most big cities have uh, filmmaking groups. You might be able to find them on Facebook. Just do a Google search, filmmaking group in San Diego, or a filmmaking club. You know, people who just love to make movies, people who love movies. And if you're close to a university, do they have a TV, film, and radio department? Can you go to this university and get a filmmaking degree? Well, if you can, you know they've got a filmmaking department, right? Go there and ask for help. See what kind of resources they can provide for you. That's really important when you crew up as well. You can possibly get crew from a club, a group, a university. Uh, Do you guys remember my interview with Al Washington last year? She uh, belongs to the Charm City Filmmakers Group. So she's used them on all of her films, as far as I know, and she does have a new one, and uh, I hope to get her in here and we can talk about it and I can share it with you guys. She's, she's making serious progress as a filmmaker. So yeah, look around. Do a Google search. Ask for help. All people can say is no. Uh, actors. How many actors are you going to need? How many roles do you have in your film? Do you know anybody who can pull off an acting job in a feature film? Or are you going to have to go sag? Are you going to have to reach out to the Screen Actors Guild and see if you can get some actors through them? And if you go that route, you're going to have to pay them money. The Screen Actors Guild does have a low-budget option, so they have have a price schedule for different budgeted movies. And if you're really super low-budget, they do cut you a big break. But, you know, that's something that you have to consider. Do you have anybody who can act in your movie for free? Do you have anybody who can act in your movie and, and, and pull it off? Do you know uh, anybody who can uh, do the other positions? Do you know any hair and makeup people? Do you know any sound people? Do you know anybody who can come to your film and just crew up right away? You're going to need production assistance. So you're going to need a crew. Do you have that available to you? So when you get your script written, go through an inventory, what you have available to you that is in the script, be it locations, props, cars, actors, crew. What do you have available to you? That's the first step because you can't make your budget out until you figure out what you're going to have to pay for. You know, if you if you can crew up and your crew will, will volunteer and do it for free, that's going to save you a lot of money. If you have relatives who have land or interior locations that you like, I'm sure they'll let you come in and shoot for free. And what are you going to shoot it on? What kind of camera equipment are you going to use? Are you going to need grip equipment? Are you going to need a dolly? Are you going to need a crane? Are you going to need lights? How many lights are you going to need? Now, the hike was all exterior except for the scene at my house. I knew right away I didn't need a lot of lights. And the lights that I needed, I just needed for a day because that's all we shot at my house was a day. And when you rent equipment, you're going to rent it by the day, by the week, by the month, you know, depending upon the rental house. Now, because we were shooting an exterior, that doesn't mean we didn't need grip equipment because you have to manipulate the light. So you have to buy silks and things that can diffuse the light, bounce cards, So you still have to rent equipment even if you're doing an exterior shot. Because when the sun is directly overhead, you're going to have to diffuse that really bright light to make it match the morning and to make it match the afternoon when the sun is setting. 
Do you have any amazing shots where you're going to need to push in, pull out, crane up, crane down? Do you have any car mounts? Do you have any shots that you're going to, that you want a mount on the exterior of the car and you want to shoot the person while they're driving? Or you want to put one of those GoPro type cameras down by the wheel. I love those shots. You know, when the camera's just a few feet off the ground right behind the wheel and the car is, is moving. So go through the script and inventory what you're going to need and what you already have. And once you realize what you already have, then you're going to have to start a list of things that you want that you don't have. Now you can have a wants list and you can have a needs list. The grip equipment is going to be on the needs list. And maybe a car mount would be on the wants list. You know, you want it, but the world's not going to end if you don't get it. You can still make the movie without it. And as far as actors go, uh, backstage.com. And there's a few other uh, websites uh, that you can peruse looking for folks. And typically on these sites, they'll have their headshot. They'll have reels. You know, it, it's it's too early to cast, but you can get an idea of the type of look that you want by just going through and, and looking at headshots. You know, just a preliminary look. Oh, that, yeah, this person looks good. You know, that kind of thing. A couple of websites are actorsaccess.com and breakdownexpress.com. And when we get into casting down the road, I will go into further detail about Actors Access and Breakdown Express. But I mean, you go on to Breakdown Express and you basically, all the roles you need, you list them on this website and you will have so many responses. (laughs) And a lot of actors, uh, I'm not sure if they read the fine print, but... uh, When I was looking for someone to play Grady, the role that I eventually played, Grady actually carries John. He slings him over his shoulder like a bag of potatoes, and he carries him across a field from point A to point B, whatever. I put that on the breakdown. I was looking for a guy who was strong and big, because John's not a very big guy. You know, he's kind of on the shorter side, and I knew I could carry him with no problem. But I knew somebody John's size would not be able to carry John. So I was looking for an actor who was, you know, six foot and over and and not a skinny string bean. Somebody with some muscle tone. Dude, I got responses from guys who were like 5'8", five, 5'7", five, buck 50. Like, hello, did you not read what I needed? Did you not read what is expected of you if you get this role? Ah, See, there's, there's tons of actors out there who, who want to work. Bless their hearts. But you know, it was just a waste of time for me. Because you go on to Breakdown Express, after you post your movie, a couple days later, you have tons and tons of headshots. And so you're going through the headshots, you got to click on every headshot to see the details about the person, and then you see their height and their weight. So it, it was just a waste of time for me, it was a waste of time for them, but I understand why they did it. I mean, believe me, I clicked on some headshots that, you know, I love the guy's look. I love the guy's look. And then come to find out he's like 5'5", five, 5'9". Five, five, <laughs> so your Uncle Dave took the role. I said, hell with this, right? So that's your first step. And uh, before we get out of here, I do want to tell you, and I don't want to scare you, but making a feature film is probably going to be the hardest thing you're ever going to do. Now, you know, it's not up there with raising children, but it's going to take a lot of your time and it's going to be a challenge that you probably haven't ever faced before. 
But the rewards, if you pull it off and if you complete it, the rewards are immense because I'm sure for most of you and for me, it was a dream. You know, since I was a little kid, I wanted to make a movie. When I walked out of Deliverance, I thought to myself, wow, if I could make a movie like that at some point in my life, you know, that's why The Hike is my first movie because it's my homage to Deliverance. But I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for y'all. It's, it's a difficult process. And you have to surround yourself with positivity. Is that a word? Positivity? <laughs> no, you got to surround yourself with positive people. If you have any Debbie Downers in your life, you need to get rid of them. You need to eject them out of your life. You are who you roll with. You know, wisdom comes from living. I'm not a smart guy, but I am wise. People can love you, but still really kind of not want you to succeed. Because if you succeed, they're, they're afraid they're going to lose you. Or if you succeed, they're going to look at themselves in even more of a loser light. They probably already think of themselves as a, as a loser. And when their friend goes out and succeeds and sees their dream through, that loser is going to feel even worse about himself or herself. I'm just saying, be around positive people. You know, you're going to get a lot of people who are going to patronize you. And I went through this, you know, after my script was written, I was telling acquaintances, friends, yeah, I'm putting together my movie. Like, oh yeah, yeah, great, good. Patronizing the shit out of me. And eh, you guys aren't stupid. You'll feel it. You'll know it. And you know, just let it go. And the very last thing I want to tell you is something we touched on in season one. If you're going to be at the helm of this feature film and you're going to direct it, you have got to be a lion and not a lamb. You've got to be a leader. Now, I hope you're self-aware enough that you know if you're a leader or not at this point in your life. If you're not a natural born leader, it's going to be very hard for you to get through this. All right, so let's cut this short. I like short podcasts. I love Joe Rogan. Damn, it's tough to get through two hours of a podcast, unless if you're traveling. When you're traveling, plug that thing up in your car and listen to it. Perfect. But when you're just sitting at home, who wants to listen to a two-hour podcast? I love you, Joe Rogan, but damn, it's hard for me to sit down and give you two hours of my life every day. <laughs> All right, folks, that's it for this one. Season two, episode one, in the can. See, last year we said free Britney, and Britney's already free. What can we say this year? You know what? I think we're just going to go back to the be a lion, not a lamb. Later. Later.